With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Lisa Stone, and you're listening to Parenting Aces. Welcome to season nine of the Parenting Aces podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Stone, and this week we have Todd Whittem back on the show. It's been a little while, and Todd's had a crazy summer, as you'll hear during the episode, but he had a little time this week to chat with us at Parenting Aces, so we're thrilled to have him back. We talk about what's happening in Florida. We talk about the tournaments that some of his kids have been playing. And then we kind of morphed into this whole conversation about junior golf because Todd's older son, who's six years old, is playing competitive golf. And so Todd's learning very intimately what junior golf looks like and, of course, has a very clear understanding of what junior tennis looks like. And so we really delve into a conversation around junior golf and what junior tennis can learn from that other sport. And of course, I've done articles on that in the past. I've done podcasts on it in the past, but it's nice to hear from a junior golf parent and his perspective. So for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode with Todd Whittem. Hey, everybody. I'm Lisa Stone with Parenting Aces, joined by Coach Todd Whittem of Todd Whittem Tennis. Um, Todd looks like you've got a crib and a yoga mat. (laughs) I'm not sure what else behind you today. Yeah, the yoga mats for my wife, not me. (laughs) My yoga days are over. All right. I did yoga when I was playing, but not anymore. And uh, the crib, well, we should get rid of that, too. (laughs) (laughs) So how was your morning? Did you beat up on the kids? Yeah, no, it's a little quieter. So I didn't work too much this morning. I mean, our summer. So this week I'm I'm taking it easy a little bit. Um, We were oversold for the vast majority of the summer. So we had kids that were extending their stay longer than I expected. And so we were actually oversold and working, you know, more hours with these players. And so it was exciting, especially during these times. That's awesome. So for people that aren't familiar with you and your tennis program, can you just tell us a little bit about where you're located and what you do? Sure. So we're located in the western part of Fort Lauderdale uh, in Coral Springs. It's about 20 minutes south of Boca Raton. Um, what we do, And that's Florida for our international viewers. Sorry. Yes. Florida. As, yes. Sorry. But um, so what we do is a little bit different. Um, You know, you have tennis academies all throughout the country, all throughout Florida, all throughout South Florida, all throughout the world. Uh, What we do is different, like I said. So what what I run is what I consider a small private school for very serious tennis players. And uh, and so all the kids go through an assessment, whether they're coming for a week, a month, um, full time. They go through this assessment. So we have a full understanding of what we need to work on to maximize the student's time with us. And so for us, we're training kids that are very serious and the vast majority of the kids that we train, they're looking to go to the most elite universities in the country. And we have some pro prospects as well. Um, So really we run it like a private school would for academics. We're just doing it in tennis. And so the kids are guaranteed to have really good coaching all day long for their child. And, um, and we're managing their careers, you know, the whole way through, whether it's their tennis training, the physical aspect, the mental aspect, the nutritional aspect, um, then the tournament coaching, tournament scheduling. I do the college placement. So it's a, really a full management of, of you know, these, these children's tennis careers. And, uh, and the parents are relocating into, into my system, into the area for, for this type of management and training. And so you work out of a local club, a local park. What's your facility? 
Sure. So I have two facilities I use. They're both public facilities in Coral Springs. In fact, for for the for the viewers that that follow professional ATP tennis on the men's side, this was where the Delray Beach ATP originated before it went to Delray Beach. So I was nice. I was a youngster growing up in Coral Springs in elementary school, and there's an elementary school right next to the tennis facility where I train the players. So, you know, I grew up about two miles down the road. My mom helps me with some of the housing for some of the kids that need boarding. I had kids living in my house uh, for the, what was it, the last eight weeks. So now it's, it's time to relax a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and it's you and one of the gentlemen that coached you as a player coming up, Pierre. That's right. So, so for, for, the, for the viewers that follow me on social media, they'll know that Pierre Arnold trained me my whole career. I was trained by two very disciplinarian Argentine coaches that were producing a lot of the champions in South Florida in the 80s. I met them in 89, but in the 80s, the 90s, the early 2000s, these two gentlemen, Pierre Arnold and George Paris, were developing a lot of the amateur champions. Um, professional champions. I mean, I was around you know, very elite players from when I was six years old. So I had these two gentlemen train me from when I was six years old to when I retired from the ATP tour, 26 years old. Um, unfortunately, George passed away when I was 15. And George and Pierre were best friends and business partners. So that was very tough. But as we say, I used to work for Pierre and now Pierre works for me. So like it. And then I have another gentleman that's working for me as well, this, this gentleman, Daniel Yu, who is a super national champion here uh, in the United States. He's, he's a, a Korean-American uh, young man, and, I, and he trained with Pierre from when he was about 14 or 15 years old all the way through his professional career. So he started working for me in January, and he's tremendous from the tennis to the physical training. I mean, you name it, he's amazing. He was training Korea's... Uh, top ATP player in Korea before he came to work for me. And that gentleman, his last name is Kwan, and he uh, and he's about 60 or 70 in the world. So to have Daniel, you know, working working under me and my system, it's been amazing. And he he wanted to come back to the United States uh, because his parents live here locally. So uh, so it's been tremendous. And so I have these. It's us three main guys with the kids all day long, and and we're doing everything with the kids, customizing the workouts as well as a private hitting partner that I hire to be, you know, joining us in our workouts every single day. So I really feel like if you're a very serious player, this is a, this is a great arena for, for those types of kids. Sure. What age range are the kids that you're working with now? Sure. So we had a couple of uh, youngsters. We, we do have a full-time uh, 12-year-old boy with us um, throughout the whole year. And then we had some kids that came in and out that were a little bit younger. Um, they were, we, had, we even had, I think, an eight, nine-year-old. And then we had uh, a couple of 11-year-olds and, and, and some 12-year-olds. And then, but usually it ranges from about 12 to 18 years old. Boys and girls. Boys and girls, absolutely. Right. Okay. And so before we get into the thrust of today's conversation, I just want to throw out there for those of you watching, if you have any questions or comments that you'd like to make, uh, please type them in the comments on Facebook and we will see them. And well, I will see them and I will present them to Todd and hopefully we'll be able to address any questions you have during our conversation. But for those um, who are tuning in because we kind of promoted this as an update on what's going on in Florida in terms of junior training and junior competition. Todd, talk to us a little bit about what's happening down there. We know Florida's been kind of an epicenter of COVID-19. Y'all have had a rough go of things. Um, tennis never really shut down 100% there, um, even though it was supposed to, there were still people out training because a, so many people own private courts there that, you know, they were able to do that, including you and B because Florida is the home of a lot of professional tennis players, even those who aren't American born or even American citizens, but they reside in Florida to train because of obviously the weather there. So, in terms of the junior happenings, and we know USTA has been 
leaving things up to the sections. Um, UTRs kind of stepped in and offered some things. Uh, the ITFs, the ITF juniors are shut down for the year, though we're still waiting to hear what's happening with Eddie Hearn and Orange Bowl, I think. But um, what are you seeing? What are you hearing? What are your kids doing? Well, I've had kids that have been playing quite a few tournaments, believe it or not. Um, you know, during the really tough time uh, back in about, you know, early March when, when our facility shut down, my full-timers went back home. So mm -hmm. this is a very challenging time because, you know, I'm trying to support Pierre and Daniel and my, and my private hitting partner as well, and as well as, as myself. So that was challenging. Um, so we did have some private course that we were able to use. Um, but most of our students went home. They went back to Kansas, Ohio, you know, the, these types of places all throughout the country. So, so when we started back up, the families came right back. And they were they were ready to go. So that was exciting for us. Our facility, both our facilities opened up, um, and and really our visitors started to to come back to, to train with us as well. You know, I have a whole list of, of kids that come in and out of my system throughout the year um, for for different reasons. Maybe they can't relocate here full time. Maybe they are preparing for a cert, for certain tournaments. Maybe they you know have long weekends. Maybe kids. And parents want assessments from myself or from uh, from Pierre to give them, uh, you know, you know, a different idea of what maybe needs to be done for their child's tennis uh, to keep improving. Um, so, you know, in South Florida, I got I got plenty of phone calls of, of people that were asking me, "Hey, is it okay? The virus, the this, the that. You know, are there tournaments being played? You know, and what I can say is that our facility never got shut down one time from when it opened." And uh, no members and none of the kids that we had tested positive for, for the COVID-19 virus. So for us, we were just really staying in our little bubble. As, as I kept telling all the parents, you know, I'm going to the supermarket maybe once or twice a week with my mask on. And, and, I'm, and I'm playing tennis and I play some golf. And, that, that's, and that's really it. And so mm -hmm. for us, we just kept pumping away and training the kids. And, and parents were coming in. Uh, into our system with with their with their children. Um, a good friend of mine owns two hotels locally, so I was keeping in contact with him. The families were staying in the in in, in the hotel, or they were renting Airbnbs. Or if if a child wanted a board with either myself or my mom, they had to come with their parents first and stay for at least a week to two weeks, and then I would let them into my house or into my mother's house. And so it was busy. <laughs> it was. It was really busy. It was really exciting for me because I really wasn't sure how busy we would be. Um, but, uh, but that's great, you know, but we don't take on masses of kids. So to fill my system up doesn't take a tremendous amount of kids. Now the academies, I think was a different story from what I was hearing. Yeah. From boarding to the masses of kids to the summer camps, these things, I think the academies that, that, that surround me more, more so in, in the Boca Raton and Delray Beach area, I think they, they got hurt big time. And so it's, it's been tough, I think, for a lot of academies uh, in the area. Sure. What's the maximum number of kids that you had this summer in a given week? Well, I try to never take on more than 15 students. Okay. Really throughout the school year, we have about nine or 10 full-timers. When it becomes holiday times, you know, maybe summer, spring, Christmas, that's when we start to get to that 15 number. Mm -hmm. I had around 17 for, for a bunch of weeks because some of the kids were extending their stay. So mm -hmm. that's exciting, which means, you know what, we're just going to work more hours. That's, <laughs> that's, 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 uh, yeah. It, they were extending their stay and it, you know, and I really enjoyed you know, having these kids in, in, in my system. So it wasn't like I was going to throw them out and say, go home, get out of here, you know? Right. So, so it was busy, but we made it work. I think it was great. You know, the kids that were playing in tournaments had some tremendous results. You know, I know you see my stuff on social media, so I put that. And uh, so it was exciting, but now it's nice for me to take a little rest. Yeah. <laughs> so is school going back uh, in person in Florida? It is. Yeah, it, it's okay. going back. Um, you know, you could you could do a hybrid program. Some kids are going virtual, and 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 some kids are going back into the class. So uh, you know, it really just depends on uh, on the school. Yeah, exactly. I mean, oof, yeah. No, I know it's it's going to be very interesting. You know, I, I don't know. 
I don't know what the future holds. You know, I'm just taking it day by day. I was thrilled. We had a ph phenomenal summer. We got to assess some new students. They want to come back. They're figuring out their schooling. You know, there's a lot up in the air. I mean, I feel like people may contact me because the indoor environments, you know, could, could be tough for, for, yeah. for the 19 virus. Um, so the fall could, you know, I'm not really sure what's going to happen in the future. I cannot predict it. Yeah, I know. I None of us can right now. Things are so up in the air. So your kids that were there all summer, um, you said there were a lot of tournaments going on. What types of tournaments were they playing? Were they typical USTA junior events or other types of events? No, they weren't USTA tournaments. They were UTR men's and women's opens. So okay. We had, we had, you know, we, we had some kids that are, that are getting ready and they're going through the college process, right? So they wanted to play and compete as much as they could uh, in the local UTR tournaments. We tried to minimize their travel, obviously, but there's so many tournaments here usually that they don't usually have to travel much. So right. our, in our little bubble of playing the men's and women's opens, we had 12-year-olds playing in men's and women's opens. We had our, you know, older students, 17, 18-year-olds playing in them. You know, obviously the 12-year-olds, it's tough when you're playing adults and everything, but it's a good experience. And and their and their sibling was was playing in it as well. So we're like, yeah, go go have some fun. You know, no big deal. And so mostly it's been those UTR uh, open events. And what do you see on the schedule as schools starting back up? And again, USTA is leaving it up to each section to determine the best protocol moving forward. Um, what's happening in Florida? Well, I had a student of mine play a, a local 16s tournament this past weekend. So that was good to know that the, the USTA tournaments are back. Um, but yeah, I guess they're going to start back up. There's a lot of tournaments that are played out of the center where I, where I train my students, but that gentleman has not started the events yet. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so, but you know, there, there's plenty within, within a 30 mile radius or even 20 mile radius around me, there's been quite a few events for kids to play. Which is great because it means that you don't have to stay in a hotel, you get to sleep in your own bed, you don't have to worry about eating out, you know, you can bring your food for the day and, you know, from a COVID perspective, it allows you the most protection if you can go play tennis and then come back home at night. Well, yeah, that, that's, that's what I was really monitoring you know, and, and getting the report um, from, from Daniel, who was going to the events, to how strict they were with, with the, you know, with staying safe at the events, because I was going to pull those kids out of the tournament if it wasn't 100% safe. We're not yeah. gonna and if both comes in, just obviously, we know we're going to get shut down. So this was, it, it was stressful. And I was making sure that, that things were, were done properly. And, and they were, you know, I was getting very good reports and everything. So, you know, we, we went for it and, and the kids were playing and we've been great, you know, knock on wood, all, all has, all has been good. Good. Yeah. I mean, I'm hearing really positive things too on the events that are back on the schedule where either they're using things like match tennis app to have contactless check-in and court assignments and score reporting. Yeah. Um, you know, they're limiting to the player and one other person. So either a coach or a parent, but they don't have a lot of people hanging out. You know, players are checking in 10 minutes before their match and going straight to their match court and things like that. So there's no gathering like you would normally see at a junior tournament, which, you know, it's sad because our tennis kids are already playing this individual sport where it's a lot of pressure on themselves and a lot of isolation and tournaments were always kind of the place where you got to connect with your buddies and hang out and maybe have a meal together or hang out at night at the hotel, whatever. So that's gone temporarily, but the kids are at least getting to play, which is good. And, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with college tennis. And I mean, that's another area that I'd love to hear from you what you're hearing, because I know you're connected with not only recruiting companies, but also college coaches. Um, and I just did, you know, a workshop with LRT Sports on recruiting and what's going on and what these kids need to be doing. But it's always nice to hear the coach's side and, and the recruiter side of, of what's happening. Yeah. So what I really feel is that if kids want to play college tennis, I think it's just going to become a lot more elite 
you know, and 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 I and I said this to you uh, yesterday. I think I texted yeah. texted you, Lisa. You know, the, I think it was about fifty programs, I believe, from from junior college all the way to Division One that have gone under so far, and now they're speaking about football not having a season. Right. And football does not have a season. That is going to really hurt the non-revenue sports, which obviously is tennis. So. Yeah. I don't, who knows what's going to happen. But what I can tell you is that I believe that tennis in general, whether it's, you know, junior tennis or going on to hopefully play college tennis, professional tennis, it's all going to become a lot more elite um, in, in, in the whole arena. I mean, you're looking at the U.S. Open and they're not even having a qualifying. Right. You know, this is, you know, it's unprecedented what's going on. Um you know, I guess tennis is, is trying its best, but uh, I, I think, you know, it's, it's going to it's going to be tough. I think it's going to, you know, for kids and, and parents that are listening to us right now. What I always say is get the absolute best training for your child, because I think it's only going to become more and more difficult for kids to be playing college tennis. Right. Just and mainly because there are going to be fewer programs. So fewer spots. Yeah, if you think of 50 programs, maybe you're just talking about the men's side, 50 programs times, let's, let's average 10 kids per roster. Yeah. You, that's 500 kids that are now out of college tennis. Now, if it's men's and women's programs, 50 universities, now you're talking 1,000 kids. Right. So it's just going to get squeezed more and more and more, in, in my opinion. Yeah. And, you know, what we're hearing and what we talked about in the LRT sports workshop uh, last week, week before that, uh, time is just a big mush right now for me. But um, whenever that workshop was, one of the things we talked about was the importance of the kids really marketing themselves and making sure they stand out in the college coaches' eyes and getting in front of those coaches via video, via email, via text messages, whatever it is. Um, and making sure that coaches are aware when you are playing matches at a facility that's live streaming so the coaches can tune in and watch because the coaches don't have the budgets right now to be traveling around to junior events. So they're going to rely more on play site and other live streaming features that some of these facilities are implementing right now. You know, one thing that's really sad is Kalamazoo was supposed to be going on as we speak, right? We, Kalamazoo and San Diego, both of which were canceled. Um, San Diego was still gonna happen for the longest time. Kalamazoo got moved to Lake Nona and then canceled. Um, and those are, you know, our country's two largest recruiting opportunities for junior players, right? I mean, that's, those two events get the most college coaches of any junior events. Um, maybe Orange Bowl and Eddie Her, I don't know, Easter Bowl's up there, but but Kalamazoo and San Diego were definitely for the U.S. players, kind of the mecca for getting spotted by a coach. And that just got wiped off the calendar this year. So we got to be creative. As a junior coach who helps these kids get recruited, what are some of the things you're doing, Todd, to help get these kids noticed? Well, my students, you know, they may start with an email and they put me in the email. I, I have spent many hours on the phone with college coaches this summer for a couple of my students that it's their time to, uh, you know, get placed for college. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I talked to a bunch of the coaches um, videoing because, you know, the coaches, you know, maybe couldn't fly to, to watch, you know, watch the students train right. in my system or, or, or tournaments. And so it's videos, it's emails, it's hours on the, on the phone speaking about my student, their parents, right? Because that's really important too, you know, for, for, for the parents that are, that are listening to this, the college coaches want to know how the parenting is for, for, <laughs> for someone that they're recruiting. Right. Because the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, as they say. Right. So there's many different things. And then, you know, the students, you know, they, they have usually a, a, a list of maybe 10 schools that uh, that they're interested in. Some are maybe a far reach. Some are very realistic. Some are a little bit, you know, on, on the lower end um, of, of really what, what they're looking for. Safety schools. Yeah. yeah. Safety schools. Yeah. Um, 
So, you know, we start attacking it. And hours, emails, phone calls, videos, you know, clips of how they're training and, 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 and all these things. So that's what we've done. Yeah. I mean, and it's great. And, you know, I am a huge proponent of having the student athlete run the process themselves. But we're in unprecedented times right now. And these kids need all the help they can get getting noticed by the college coaches. So you as a junior coach, you know, these kids really well, especially your full timers, obviously, the kids that, you know, come for a week during the summer, you might not have as much knowledge about them, but but certainly your full timers and the kids that come regularly throughout the year. And so you're a great resource for the college coach. You know, if if you have a kid that you're working with who also has a coach back home, so maybe this kid just comes down for a couple weeks at a time, like you were saying over school breaks or whatever, how much are you interacting with their coach at home to coordinate this whole recruiting process for them? Well, you know, what's exciting for us is that we've had coaches send some of their players to us saying that we really love your arena. So that to me, that's that's like the ultimate compliment to have a sure. actually send one of their prized students to, to us. So hopefully that means we're doing a good job. So that that's great. Um, in terms of the college college placement, if they're not a full-time student, you know, in, in my arena, I'll help out, but I don't want to overstep my boundaries because that's not really my student that's with us all mm-hmm. year long. Right. I don't I don't want to, you know, step on anyone's toes or anything. But if they really want me to help them, then then I will. I mean, obviously, I'll help, you know, the kids, you know, to, to the fullest of my ability. Um, so, you know, it just really depends. But most of the kids that that I train full time, obviously, I do. the I help them with the college placement, do the college placement with them. But usually just our visitors, I'm usually not helping in, in, in that arena because they're only here for, you know, a specific you know, a specific time, but if they become a full-time, you know, student, then, then obviously that's, that's part of, of what we do. Um, you know, I don't feel it would be right if I'm speaking about a student that actually isn't full-time in, in, gotcha. you know, in, in my, in my arena, you know, I don't, you know, I don't think that that's the right thing to do. You know, I wouldn't know that student as well, unless they spent, you know, all these hours with, right. with Aaron Daniel. Right, right. So a minute ago, we were talking about the fact that all these college programs are getting cut and, and what that looks like for tennis overall. You and I, as you mentioned earlier, were exchanging texts yesterday. And um, one of the things that we were talking about was comparing tennis to golf. And because you play golf and your son plays golf, and um, so you're kind of in both places. You played with Jay Berger. He was your college coach. Jay's, it's his daughter that? His son. Oh, his son. About top 20 or top 30 in the world. Right, in golf. Yes. Yes. So, and Jay is the former head of men's tennis at USTA. He was Davis Davis Cup coach. Yeah. Um, Yeah. so yep. very involved in tennis um, and was a top player himself, both, you know, as a junior college and professionally became an amazing college coach as well. And so, but his kid is in golf and doing very well in golf. And one of the things I, and I've written articles about this, about looking to golf as a model for what tennis needs to be doing, not just in player development, but also in parent education and in growth opportunities for the participants in the sport. And golf has many, many different pathways that players can go down. You know, if they're not um, of the level that they're going to play high-level college ten, uh, college golf or move on to the PGA Tour. There are different places that they can fit into the sport and still be highly, highly successful. Tennis hasn't figured that out yet. What are some of the things that you're seeing right now where you feel like we have such an opportunity in tennis to learn from golf and maybe even from basketball and baseball and soccer and hockey and all these other sports. 
where we could do a better job to ensure that those families that, that choose tennis have a pathway that leads to success. Oof, we could talk about this for a long time. Well, let's let's talk about it. We've got some time. We've got a half hour. Let's do it. So, so for my viewers, I grew up playing golf and tennis. My dad was a really high-level amateur player. Maybe, you know, for, for the golfers out there that, that are listening, you know, and obviously they know tennis, is that my dad was about a scratch player, which is a very high-level amateur, and my mom was into tennis. So I was introduced to both both sports at the same time at six years old. So I play quite a bit of golf now when I can uh, in my spare time. And my son is six years old and he's been competing in tournaments and I've been caddying for him for over a year now. Right. So that's, that's, you know, for me, it's just, you know, such a joy to be spending that time with him and watching him compete. And we're just having a great time out there. And he okay, let me interrupt you one second, because what I think is so interesting about youth golf is the parents are the caddies. So the parents are intimately involved in their kids' competition from the get-go. They are on the course with them. They are having to learn the sport. They're having to learn how to interact with their child. They're having to learn what the boundaries are with their child while they're out there. And there are very, very detailed rules and regulations around what the parent can and cannot do while caddying, right? That, that, that is true. So for me, you know, being a, being a tennis coach and going through tennis, you know, through the whole arena, my, my, you know, during my, you know, junior and college and, and pro days, I want to make it as simple as I can for, for my son, right? I don't want to coach him that much. I made it very clear that I play, I play some pretty good amateur golf, but I don't, I don't want to really be that involved in any type of coaching, right? I let his coach do the work and everything. Let my son enjoy it. And if he has questions, I'll, I'll, I'll try to answer them if I can. Mm -hmm. But I just want to enjoy my time with him. And when we're out there, you know, I'm noticing what the parents are, are doing. You sure. know, five-year-olds and six-year-olds and everything. And sometimes I'm thinking, ooh, that's not good. Or, you know, hey, this parent is solid. You know, they're stable. They're doing their good job. You know, so you know, I'm in that arena every day in the tennis arena. You know, with with communicating with with the parents to make sure that their children are you know are doing well and 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 things are going well. Um, but what I can tell you is that you know there are a lot of details, and parents are walking with their kids, and 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 you have to really know how to handle it. You know, mm -hmm. and, you know that's. Uh, you know, that, that's a tricky situation. I've had some tricky situations out there on the golf course with my son thinking, you know, how should I handle this right now? You know, he's he's maybe, you know, not doing this well or that well or whatever. Or should I give him a tip or or, or, or two? But I really don't want to, like, be involved. I'd, I'd like for him to learn on his own, right, and, and, and learn from his coach, you know, that, that he works with. Um, so, you know, it, it gets interesting, but overall – we're just enjoying the time out there, walking the nine holes and, you know, enjoying some of the competition. But I think one of the things I found most interesting when starting to learn about junior golf was how much parent education there is when your child starts into the golf world. And again, there are very strict rules and regulations about parent behavior on the course, um, parent interaction with their child during competition and things like that. And we don't have so much of that in tennis. And, you know, I've done a couple conversations recently. Um, my live stream each week with Dewey Evans on Wednesday mornings last week, we started talking about why parent education is such a crucial piece of the junior development process. And then I did a chat on uh, the locker room app about, you know, kind of expanding on that and talking about why parents need to invest in their own education. We've seen that the junior golf association has really taken control of parent education. USDA really has not, jumped full force into that arena. It's left the parent education up to people like me with parenting aces, um, you know, people like Frank Giampaolo, who's written lots of books and does lots of workshops around parent education. 
people like Dewey Evans, who, you know, is through his performance architect work is helping parents. So why do you think golf deemed it necessary to really define parent education and hone it and offer it? And tennis has kind of stayed away from that. Okay. All right. You ready? Yeah. To, to me, when you're in a in a club in in golf, there's just such a, a certain amount of respect in class, in my opinion. Okay. When when you you know from everything that you do with with you know on a golf course, whether it's you know fixing a ball mark, you know putting sand in your divots, everything you're taking care and you're respecting, you know what's around you. Right to me, it's very classy from what I'm seeing. Is that you know the parents are are doing you know from what I've seen are doing a really nice job, and it's 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 really based on respect and respecting the game, and so th- these are some of the things that are really to me just really eye opening when I go to golf events with with my son because you know I played some golf events when I was about twelve or thirteen one one summer. But I didn't really compete in golf. Mm. I only competed in tennis. And so, you know, the things that I'm seeing in tennis, they're not happening in, in this golf arena from, from, what I've, from what I've witnessed. You know, whether, you know, the respect level, you know, the class, um, you, know, you know, there's a lot of, you know, speaking about of, of, of cheating and, you know, and all these things. And, you know, I, you know, I don't know. It, it's not to me it's not headed in the right direction um and there needs to be a lot of communication with with, with the parents and i mean in golf things like cheating just aren't tolerated i mean it's not you know there's no gray area you just don't do it if you do it you know you're out that's it it's yeah. done yeah i mean in in golf i think one of the worst things that you can be labeled is someone that's 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 cheating mm-hmm. right that's you're, you're not a truthful competitor. So I can tell you in golf that, you know, people that are suspected of cheating, you have eyes on you at all times. Right. And, and so, you know, I grew up competing with with my father and, and his buddies and you knew who would eh, kind of bend the rules a little bit. And, you know, so I compete, you know, with with guys in golf now that played, you know, pro golf back in the day um, and played college golf. But, you know, in, you know, you know, these things, right. And so when you suspect that could happen, you're watching them like a hawk at all. Right. And so, you know, just like anything in life, I mean, once, once you break that trust, then it's, it's really hard to regain it. Yeah. Do you think that that, the whole cheating thing is, is one of the things that's really hurting our sport? I mean, we hear that a lot from parents that, you know, my kid played a tournament and there was all this cheating going on and they decided they didn't want to be part of that. So that was it. One tournament, we're done. We're out of tennis. We're going to move on to something else. But I don't know how widespread that is. Well, you know, I can tell you that, you know, I've gone to obviously many junior tournaments in the past 10 years. And obviously I came through amateur tennis, you know, in, in the United States. And some of the things that I've seen are just unacceptable. And I always, and many times when I see it happening, I think to myself, if my son ever did this, I would be so upset that they better not do it again or I'm yanking them, mm-hmm. right? This would be a really bad reflection of, of the parents. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I see kids that are, that are not doing the right things and they're cheating, but they have a lot of pressure from a parent, right? And so they're doing anything that they can to get a win. But what they must realize is that there comes to there comes a certain point where you're either good enough or you're not. And so, you know, I've always thought that, you know, what if you're going to lose, then you need to go back and you need to train harder. You need to get better. And if you get better, then it will result in more wins. If you're taking the shortcut, it's going to catch up with you. And so that's the way I was brought up and everything. But it's hard because, you know, I've seen a bunch of tournaments lately. No good. <laughs> right. You know, unfortunately, no, no good. Pretty disgusting if you want my honest opinion about it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's part of the game. 
you know, the, the UTR, the USTA, to me, if they want to make tennis, you know, better and they want to make the tournaments more of a success and want kids to come back, then they better come up with, uh, with, with some things that are, they're going to, they're going to cut that out. To me, it's, it's disgusting. And, yeah. you know, and I think, you know, we've had this conversation before, but more referees, more umpires, that's not the answer necessarily, because really it boils down to, as you were saying about golf, having respect for the game, having respect for your opponent and doing the right thing because you respect the game and your opponent. Right. And so sometimes cheating isn't cheating. Sometimes cheating is a kid needs glasses or a kid needs better training about how to call lines. Okay. So it's not always malevolent, but when it is to me, that's a problem with either the pressure that the kid's getting from home, as you mentioned, the coaching, um, because we've all heard those coaches who say, if it's on the line, call it out. Um, there are coaches out there. I, I'm telling you. I, I, know, I know. I know. There are coaches out there. Um, and we've also seen where there are officials who turn the other way. If it's a certain kid from a certain family or connected to the tournament in some you know, positive way and they don't want to penalize that family or whatever. So I don't think it's more officials. I don't think that's the answer. I really think it has to start with giving the sport and giving competition and giving the opponent the respect that they're due. And for some reason we've lost that. Well, I think it's up upbringing, right? I think that's part of it, and it's a big part of it for sure. I saw my son cheating or or not doing things properly in an event. It it's not going to go over well. Mm -hmm. It's just not, you know, because it is a reflection of of the parenting as well and the coaching, right? So, for sure. you know, and that's why I say upbringing, right? And also know that when you take the short, you know, when you take shortcuts. I never met any successful tennis player that took shortcuts. In fact, they went over and above what the coaches were asking them to do and what was what they were training them to do. That's why they became really good. Mm -hmm. They didn't take shortcuts. I don't know kids that take shortcuts that do really well. So, you know, to me, that's 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 a discipline. It's an upbringing. It's you know, it's a society. Right. And so mm -hmm. when, when you do things well and you're trained really well, you really have that inner confidence and belief that you deserve to do some really good things. Right. And but how me, has golf managed to get that point across? And tennis is not. Oof, uh, that, I mean, you're both, you've got a foot in both worlds. Yeah. That, uh, that I'm not sure. You know, I mean, I go to the golf tournaments and I see their, to me, the structure is so good, right? I mean, from their tee times to, you know, there's, there's, there's marshals driving around in their golf carts, making sure that, you know, that the kids, you know, if, if they need a penalty shot or they don't understand a ruling, it's all taken care of. It's very structured. It's really good, right? And you go and you sign your name on your scorecard. You make sure all the numbers are correct. You're checking this, like. There's a process to everything that's going on and it's followed by the kids. And obviously the parents are overseeing that in case there could be a mistake, but it is followed to the nth degree. And, um, you know, it, they're, they're doing a great job. And what I can tell you also is that there's so many nice things for these kids to try to grow the game of golf, right. To maybe discounted, you know, things at, at, at golf courses, there's free range balls so the kids can practice. You know, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've gone to a, to a tennis tournament and they're like, well, you got to give me $10 for the court. And the kid already paid a hundred dollars for the entry fee. I mean, you got to be kidding me. Right. You know, I mean, how much, how much more are you going to suck from the parents? Right. How, you know, how much more money, right. Do, do we need? Right. And, and I'm not seeing, I haven't seen that in, in my, in my son's golf golf career. I mean, you know, golf tournaments, you mm -hmm. know, doing it about a year to a year and a half. 
I, I'm very impressed with the way that they're doing things. And there's, you know, discounted things and kids are getting together. And there's nice groupings, you know, obviously not during this virus time, but nice groupings doing really well together. They're applauding each other when they hit great shots. I'm telling, you know, the other, the other child, you know, that's playing with my son, great shot. You know, that's great. It's a positive environment. I don't know. It's just, you know, to me, it's just two different worlds. When you went to your first junior golf event with your son, before you went, was were you given any information on expected behavior, rules, regulations, all that? Or did you just pick it up from the other parents on the course? You know, you were you were told the rules from uh, from an official um, before the, the children teed off on their mm-hmm. first hole. Um and then, you know, I mean, I've played a lot of golf, so, you know, I'm teaching my son how to fix his ball marks, how to, you know, stay in his rituals, how to, you know, mark his ball properly. If you hit a ball in a hazard, how to take a penalty shot and drop it properly. And if you don't know how to do these things, there are people to help you because they want these kids to play golf for their whole entire life, mm-hmm. right? And, and they are doing it in such a nice and structured way, and the environment is very healthy. It's very, very good. And, uh, you know, every time that I've caddied for my son, it's been just a just a, a great time. It's been, you know, very, very healthy, whether he's played well, maybe he hasn't played well. That's life. But it's it's been it's been a very good experience for both of us. I'm just trying to think, you know, besides not charging for practice courts when you show up for a tournament or not charging for balls when you need a warm up court or whatever, what are some of the other things that tennis could take from junior golf to make the junior tennis competition experience more positive? Well, you know, I think that there needs to be definitely some, you know, stricter rules and regulations, you know, of, of what, you know, what, what is expected of kids and parents before an event starts. I mean, that's what they're doing in golf. Mm-hmm. Right. That's that's really, you know, what what's going on. Um, so you know, I think we could do a much better job of that. You know, of you know, and if and if kids or parents are are you know out of line and not not doing you know the things that that you know that should be done, then they're going to pay the price. Mm-hmm. Right? And and to me, that's the way that that you do it. And uh, and it needs to be healthy competition, right? It you know, and there's pressure, right? There's pressure, and and the parents and the- the pressure, the numbers, the UTR numbers, the tennis recruiting, the rankings. Oh my God, this coach said they need a 10 UTR and I'm a 9.2 and this and that. And my goodness, you know what it comes down to? Train harder and get better. <laughs> and then the results take care of themselves. Right. right. When I start hearing these numbers, I mean, my mind is about to explode. <laughs> I never, <laughs> ever, tell you, never thought of these things ever when I was training or competing. Never. I didn't think of numbers. How yeah. can I get better? And when I get better, the results are going to come. Yeah. Right? That's that's how it works. And I can tell the parents that are listening to this, I've been around the most amazing tennis players from when I was six years old, and I've still been around them in my coaching career and everything. That's what they're thinking about. How am I going to get better? Right? How am I going to progress? That's really what's going on. And uh, when you get better and better each and every day and there's productive workouts physically, mentally, you know, with your game, all those numbers are going to work themselves out because your child, it's going to it's going to result in more match wins. You can't force it. You can dodge the competition all you want, but you, you can't fool the college coaches, you know, with they know what they're recruiting because right. that's their job. Right. Right. And so there's so much analyzing and this and that and all these things. And and really, it doesn't doesn't do any good. Well, and it's like you said, you know, and we've talked about this before, Todd, numerous times that every time the kid steps on the court, it should be with the goal of getting better, whether that's one percent better, whether it's 10 percent better, whatever it is. And especially in a tournament situation, a loss is an opportunity to go back and get better, right? right? It's not 
it's not the end of the road. It's it's one match. And I mean, we hear Rafael Nadal say this all the time. You know, he has a bad loss in a tournament and the press goes after him. And, oh, my God, you ha- you know, how did you lose? You must feel awful. And he's like, it's one tennis match. I've got another one tomorrow. <laughs> or I've got another one next week. Like, yeah. you know, in the scheme of things, it just doesn't matter. So the goal isn't to win every tennis match. The goal is to get better and learn every time you step foot on the court. Well, you know, I think, I think a lot of it is communication and a lot of it is trust, right? If, if, you know, like I 100% trust the coach that's guiding my son and I try to stay out of it. Right. I try not to give any technical advice. I may give one little tip and then I step away. I can tell you that my son was on the range the other day and I was sitting 50 yards away from him because I want him and he wasn't hitting the ball. Well, he took some time off and he was in camp and whatever, and he wasn't hitting the ball. Well, and my wife, she's like, Todd, aren't you going to go help him? And I, said, I don't because I want him to try to figure it out on his own. And yeah. so, you know, he continued to struggle and everything, but he kept trying. And so I walked out there. I gave him one tip. He started to hit the ball better. I walked back to the golf cart. Goodbye. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, they have to try to learn on their own. And, and, and I 100% trust his coach who's doing a great job. I see improvements all the time. And uh, I think it, that, that comes to tennis as well, is that if you really trust, you know, your child and the environment that they're in, become a better player, a better person, get physically stronger, physically faster, get mentally stronger, all these things then you're doing if you don't trust then it's going to be very difficult let me ask you this in junior golf what is the ranking system how does it work and how often is it updated that i don't know Uh, that i'm not sure because my son is too young for that okay so six years old there's no way for him to look at a number and say i am better than these people and not quite as good as these people. There's no way for that to happen. Well, he is, you know, he's in a little, he's in a a group of six and unders and uh, you know, they know the scores, they know what's going on. They know the kids placing, you know, the highest in in events and everything like that. But Um, it's not, there's no official, like our kids in tennis can go on the USTA's website every week and see an updated ranking. They can go on UTR every week and see an updated rating. Um, ITF, when ITF tournaments are happening, same thing. There's nothing comparable to that, like a weekly ongoing ranking where your son is right now. Because even the youngest tennis players, if they play a tournament, they've got a ranking. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not seeing that. Um, they have like a little series. Uh, you know, I, I think they're giving some points based on their place of finish in each of mm-hmm. But keep in mind also that, you know, the, some of the events are during the week. So my son hasn't been able to compete in those. I can caddy on the weekends. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, um, you know, the kids that, that are analyzing, you know, the, the rankings and everything is good. Is, is that doing any good? Is that what it's about? Is it about the ranking? Well, that's why I'm asking the question because I feel like, and, and I don't know how it was when you were coming up in the late 80s, but when I was coming up in the late 60s and 70s, we got rankings once a year. Right. So. It know. was so simple when I was coming through. Eight players that were ranked higher than you or better than you, your ranking went up. If you lost to players that were you know, not ranked as high as you, you went down. It came out maybe a couple times a year the rankings um, really to qualify for nationals. I'm talking about sectionals. Mm-hmm. Then try to qualify for nationals. Like I played under Florida. So that section, you know, got a certain amount of players into super nationals. Um, but that was it. You know, I wasn't looking at rankings. I was going to train to try to get better and have a better tournament next time. Do you think there's a way to – to put Pandora back in her box and um, and get away from this focus on rankings and ratings. Is there any hope of doing that? I don't know. I think, I think it's hard, you know, but you know, 
what I can tell you is that to go out and play a really good match in tennis, you know what it, what it really takes is that, you know, a, a young boy or a young girl, if they can follow a game plan for an extended period of time, everything else and anything else doesn't matter at all. Hmm. To tell the truth, right? It does not matter, right? Because in football, they have a game plan. In basketball, the coach is drawing up the game plan. In golf, they just played the PGA Championship this weekend. Those players have a game plan how to play each and every hole. In tennis, when I speak to the kids that I train, what I'm seeing is how long can they execute a game plan for? And then I'm also, you know, analyzing what we need to work on when this tournament is over. Mm. Right? And when they're good enough at those things, they win more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Numbers and everything else to me means nothing. Does not mean a thing. So we need to figure out a way, I think, to educate the junior coaches, educate the parents to put the numbers aside and not focus so heavily on them, even though we talk about them all the time. And I mean, listen, I get it. You know, tournaments use rankings and ratings to do their acceptance lists. They, they use them to do seedings. So I understand why ratings and rankings have become so important, but I wish there were a way to hide them on a week by week basis and keep us from getting so caught up in what's happening week to week, because week to week isn't the end all be all. It's, it's the the marathon, right? It's, it's the journey. Um, And I mean, we've heard you say, we've heard many coaches say what's happening in the 10s, the 12s, even the 14s really isn't that important. We're developing these kids to play their best tennis when they reach the 18s, when it becomes really important for college recruiting or making that decision to turn pro. But prior to that, it's all about development. It's all about getting better each day making that progression. Yeah. I think, you know, as, as a, as a parent, as a parent, you have to have patience, right? There's patience in developing certain crucial skills for your child to, to do really good things. I can tell you, and, and I think I've told you this, or I've written about it is that I started competing in tennis tournaments when I was about seven or eight years old. And I did not hit my stride till I was 16. Mm -hmm. So can you imagine the parents that are listening to this? And I kept losing to the same players. And I was suffering. And they kept beating me. And until I was about 16 years old, then I could beat them. And I can tell you what. Some of them I never beat, right, in my whole life. So imagine 20 years of competing with some of the same tennis players. I couldn't figure out a way to beat them. I changed my game all the time trying to figure out a way, right? And this would be tough for some parents to to digest is that in my junior days, it took me eight years to really get hone my skills, get physically strong enough, mentally strong enough. And then I could become, you know, a much better player, become, you know, what I wanted to become, which was a great player at 16, 17, 18, you know, and then hopefully have a professional career. Right. And the same thing happened with my son. I mean, when he right. got into the 16s, he finally was beating the kids that he had lost to in the 10s, 12s, and 14s. And it was that same thing. It was developing the patience, developing the strength, developing the focus to be able to, as you said, maintain, stick to a game plan throughout a match from beginning to end and you know, really execute the things that he worked on in training. Right. I mean, there's a there's a lot of things that have to be in place and have to come together for kids to to really have consistent, great results, you know, mentally, physically, you know, technically, tactically, so many, so many things. Mm-hmm. So, so you have to be patient, but you also have to see and make sure that your child, their progression is 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 going up. Right. If, if, if it's going down or it's or it's plateaued, then that's tough. Right. You know, it's that, you know, something maybe is not is not going well, you know, be coaching. I think it's time for a break. I mean, you know, listen, there are times where it's okay for the kid to take a couple months away from the sport and do something else. 
Right. Yeah. It just depends on, you know, each individual, you know, each, yeah. each individual is different. You have to know, you know, who you're training, how to train them, you know, what, what works for them, what doesn't work for them. Yeah. There's a lot you have to assess and, you know, to get the most out of each and every, uh, each and every. Absolutely. All right. Well, we're coming to the end of our hour because it always goes so fast when I chat with you. But um, if people want to get a hold of you, if they want to bring their kids down to you or ask you, you know, for an assessment or whatever, what's the best way for them to reach you? So they can reach me. I've had quite a few of your of your uh, followers uh, reach out Good. to me. Which, but thank you. You're welcome. Uh, so they can reach me at Todd, T-O-D-D, at twtennis.com. Um, they can also reach me uh, on social media. They can, you know, they can follow me on uh, on Facebook, or people have been writing me on on Instagram as well. So that's Todd Whittem underscore tennis uh, for Instagram, or they can find me my my business page or my or my regular page on Facebook under Todd Whittem. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's been tremendous, and uh, you know, I've had quite a few people from your show that have come down here to, uh, to check us out. So that's fantastic. Well, Todd, thanks for doing this again. And I'm glad you have a little respite this week and good luck with school and with your son's golf. And what's the baby up to these days growing up? I'm sure all around already. (laughs) So it'd be very interesting to see what happens. It's going to be hard to caddy for two kids. So we'll see what happens. Well, hang in there, and uh, it's, it was great talking to you. And to those of you watching, hope you enjoyed it. Hope you learned something. And as always, if you have questions, please stick them in the comments, and we'll get back to you. I'll pass along any questions for Todd to him, or you can reach him directly, Todd at TWTennis.com. Thanks, everybody, and we'll see you soon on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, by a tennis parent. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, please visit us online at parentingaces.com. Thanks for tuning in and sharing us with your tennis community.